0: Hey, I'm Kyle Lamont and welcome to Concertcast, a travel podcast exploring concert culture. In this episode, I realized just how much I'm tethered to nostalgic music and those AI-generated playlists. But thankfully, after talking with freak folk band Cookie Tongue and Adam Wayton, the talent buyer at Flicker Theater in Athens, Georgia, I discovered that my musical tastes aren't hardened after all. In 2018, while kicking off a road trip and stopped at an intersection in the middle of nowhere, Maine, I noticed a green balloon drifting upwards into the clear blue sky. That odd sight felt like a good travel omen. A green light signaling that all was clear to enjoy my solo trek across the country to explore different music scenes. I felt sure I was on the right path, and I was. The trip was epic. Flash forward to January of 2022, as I drove out of town for a similar trip across the country. But only now I was too damn frustrated with everything to be looking for signs from the universe. I planned this trip during the supposed end of the pandemic to dive back into concert culture, to shock my live music system out of its cocoon and blossom into a more enlightened version of myself. Doesn't that sound nice? Well, last-minute Omicron reschedulings of New Year's Eve concerts were a clear indicator that I should probably just turn around and go home. And while idling in my Forerunner at that very same intersection where I saw that green balloon, instead of feeling inspired and limitless, I felt the spirit of my young and adventurous self leak out of me like a deflated balloon. But rather than turn around and cancel my trip, I continued on, without a set schedule, or even a solid destination. But I found comfort listening to streaming music playlists, which of course are generated by algorithms that constantly introduce me to perfectly matched, quote unquote, new bands. However, these new bands tend to play songs in all too familiar styles, which experts say rarely challenge our ears. Along those lines, I stopped in Atlanta where I planned to see one of the bands mainly responsible for shaping my musical tastes, a band called Soundtribe Sector Nine a band so important to my life that I'll need a separate episode to explain why. But with their concert suddenly rescheduled, I attempted to see another band, but I was so disassociated and disappointed from all of the pandemic disruption, I just couldn't enjoy it. So for a change of perspective, I set out for Athens, Georgia, which was actually on my bucket list of musical towns to visit. I drove along Route 78 where long stretches of magnolia trees and rusted trailers sit next to plastic McMansions. Weeds were growing up through abandoned cars, and the convenience stores on every corner sold NASCAR hats and offered a quick poker game on grimy machines. I queue up a well-worn playlist which include hometown heroes in Athens, widespread panic, and yes, they're another band that formed some of my musical tastes. And it's funny. They say that our musical tastes develop between ages 12 and 24. And after that, they become cemented and rarely change. And for me, that's true of panic. I heard them in my early 20s, and they're nostalgic for carefree college years. Dance. So, while blaring widespread panic, I imagined rolling into the center of a cool college town with bustling streets full of people spilling out of bars and music venues. But my expectations came to a screeching halt. Omicron had beaten me into town, temporarily closing down two venues I was so excited to experience. And with school still on break, not one backpack totem kid was to be seen. And oh yeah, it was gray and cold and rainy. I mean, what the f*** have I done? I hold up into a hotel room where I was the only car in the parking lot. But don't you worry, surprises are on the way. Encouraged by lots of recommendations from a local who lives and breathes Athens, shout out to Rick Poss, I walked around the quiet and peaceful town and there was a flicker of live music hope at Flickr Theatre. Located on Washington Street, right next to world-renowned 40-watt club, which at the time was as dim as a single 40-watt light bulb due to the new variant. From the outside, Flickr Theater is a burnt red and orange storefront, with a picture window covered in surreal paintings, strong with bare lights. Inside, as if by magic, a bunch of locals have appeared and are milling about. It's a warm musical haven, the theater is divided into a bar with wingback chairs and velvet couches. A popcorn maker is in the corner and there's a super-sweet bartender. To enter the venue, you walk through a black curtain and into what feels like a very cool basement party. Moody red lights lit the bare brick walls and above the stage, a cardboard cutout of a man looking through a window as if the room had a balcony. I bellied up to the bar and ordered a ginger beer made by a local craft banker called Ginger's Bunkhouse, which had a spicy kick to it. I made travel talk with the bartender and door guy who recently moved into town to play drums in a band. I had no idea what band would be playing, nor did I care. I felt safe at Flickr and in good company. Before long, an experimental art pop freak folk band from Brooklyn named Cookie Tongue graced the stage. projected stop-motion videos behind them, a new vignette for every song. At times, it felt like I was watching a dark fairy tale. Other times, I couldn't articulate what I was seeing. But as a film producer, there was no denying how creative and talented the concept and execution was. In fact, the visuals are what caught the eye of Adam Waiten, the talent buyer at Flickr Theatre. The main thing
1: that kind of sold me on them was their videos and their YouTube presence. They've got a lot of really cool ideas and videos and production and things like that. So if you haven't checked out their YouTube channel, I would highly recommend it. I was like, okay, yeah, we'll give it a shot. Like, it's cool. (laughs) It's weird.
0: Jacqueline's face paint made her look as though she was crying rainbows. Omer was in a bold, sparkling white onesie with an ornate shawl glittery bright eye makeup and floppy brown hair. Throughout the performance, they cycled through a multitude of household objects, using them as instruments, including a plastic toy phone car on wheels. Omar even jumped off the stage to roll the phone car around the floor. Jacqueline played the musical saw so meticulously, it seemed for a moment that it's odd that every band didn't have someone playing a musical handsaw. I was fixated by their creative synergy, never breaking their focus, determined to bring their audience into the woods of their imagination. And just when I thought we were done with oddities like the toy phone, saw, glockenspiel, and more, Omer pulls out a mouse puppet who starts complaining about how the band is being too damn loud. A full-on dialogue between Omer and a puppet ensues. Uh, hello, excuse me, hi, hi everyone. I live
2: here in a little hole and it's kind of loud in here, you know? Anybody
3: notice that? You're kind of interrupting here, or in the middle of the show,
2: and... Uh, uh, I mean, was it interrupting? You mean it? you the interrupting! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Their performance ends, and everyone flocks to the merch table set up on the side of the room, which was, by and large, some of the coolest offerings of goods I've seen from a band. Hand-painted t-shirts with the main character scene in his stop-motion video. Handmade lockets, ceramics, everything was so detailed. It was an extension of the performance. Thoughtful, creative, and fucking weird. Hello? Hey, Omer. Yeah, can you hear it? Can you it, hear anything? It's faint. <laughs> he switches Bluetooth over to speakerphone. Is Ooh. it clear? Ooh, that's nice, yep. It's clear. I'm your front-of-house audio manager, and it's it's sounding good. Oh,
3: good. Okay, so we did the sound check?
0: Yes. <laughs> Meet Omar Gull and his former co-pilot, Jacqueline Marie Shannon. I'm calling them up while they're driving through Mississippi en route to New Orleans, where they'll be attending an artist residency to work on a mixed-media, interactive sculpture that combines both performance and animation. After their show, I took to the internet for help on how to verbalize what I had just seen and came across a few reviews that totally resonated with me. And I wanted to see what Cookie Tongue thought of them. I read these out loud for their take. Jason Lee of Deli Magazine in New York says, Brooklyn-based combo are made up of equal parts playful, fanciful, and twisted, demented. Rest assured, Cookie Tongue know how to put the freak in freak folk with an extra dollop of freak while providing suitable entertainment for the whole family. After their show at Asheville Fringe Fest, Michael Pondle from Asheville Stage writes, Cookie Tongue has a unique vibe, hallucinogenic and a little grotesque, but also very warm and almost childlike. Their Michael Gondry meets David Lynch or Hunter S. Thompson meets Sesame Street. Once I suspended my expectations for a firm plot or conventional storytelling, I really felt carried away by Cookie Tongue's dreamlike performance. I wanted to know which one you sort of agree with. Are they right? But more so, like, how do you want people to feel during your show or after they see you perform?
3: It's a good question. I think they're definitely partially right. We're really
4: interested in spirit work, and we're also interested in childlike wonder and what is the line between life and death, stillness and movement. I think it kind of hinges on questions of wonder and curiosity but sometimes wonder and curiosity can also be kind of
3: scary in that kind of childlike way, too. Yeah, to see the light and the darkness.
0: The duo met one night in San Francisco while Omer was performing and Jacqueline was in the audience, enthralled. They struck up a conversation and she joined the band, first as a dancer who now plays an assortment of instruments. She moved to New York from San Francisco around the same time as Omer, and soon after, Cookie Tongue was on full blast.
4: When we first started speaking to each other, we connected over this shared feeling of being a half ghost. We were very interested in this idea of what it means to kind of straddle feeling like we're both in the world and somewhere else. And then creating from that place, I think kind of became very natural for us.
0: What is it about Athens that musicians are drawn to?
1: Everybody knows about the R.E.M.s and Pylon and D-52s, widespread panic of Montreal, you know.
0: When I called up Adam Wayton, the talent buyer for Flickr Theatre, who we heard from earlier, he was actually getting ready to play at South by Southwest in Austin with one of his five bands, The Pinkstones, a country rock band who you're hearing from
2: right now. Just like-
1: like are of like okay this is a a spot in the scene but also there's probably at any given day two to five hundred bands in Athens like there's always something happening and there's always so many collaborations just like sprouting it is a college town but once you kind of get to the other side of that I feel like it really opens up and like that's the scene there's a great art school here which I know attracts a lot of creative people Rent is pretty cheap here. There's certain people in town that are trying to change that, but for the moment, it's pretty low cost to live here.
0: For people who haven't been to Athens, how would you describe the city?
3: It's definitely a really cool city town. Not sure exactly, it seems like a small city but it feels like a town also at the same time. And there's some comforting feeling there and a lot of cool kids. Every time we've met, different, really interesting, cute people.
0: Flickr was pretty cool too in, in terms of the feeling and like decorations and just the coziness of it. What is your take on Flickr Theater?
3: Probably one of our favorite venues ever. Yeah, it felt very right for us. It was perfect for our show. It was our favorite show this tour. What makes it special is that it's also a theater, so they have the projection screen. The sound was just really great, and the sound person, Aaron, was super nice and dialed in the sound really well. We've
1: always been a a movie theater. That's how it started, like showing independent movies, showing theme movies, showing cult movies, and we still do that. There's the Flickr Film Society, which is still going strong. We do fun stuff like show Antichrist for free on Valentine's Day and movie trivia and all that kind of stuff. We had Tim Capella, who is a saxophone player famously known from The Lost Boys, come and play a set at Flickr one time. And that was one of the funnest shows we've had ever. We were able to show The Lost Boys before and then Have a greased-up, shirtless Tim Capella play uh, (laughs) some saxophone. We have done some renovations in the past five years to really become kind of the premier small room in Athens. It sounds great. It's super cozy. And it's just kind of the spot to be at the moment.
0: And in the 20 years since Flickr has been in business, they've had all sorts of bands grace their stage.
1: I mean, we've had plenty of E6 people play there before. I don't know if you're familiar with elephant six but like members of neutral milk hotel definitely drink there still (laughs) and have have played shows there before and things like that you know there's some local favorites deep state plays there a lot and they're really great they've been known to pack out the the flicker theater yeah it's a great room because if there's 15 people in there it still feels good if there's 120 people in there then it's absolutely bonkers (laughs)
0: How would you describe your approach to booking?
1: The main thing I keep in mind is Athens and the people who go to Flickr. And I think, is this something that the people who go to Flickr would like or resonate or be interested in or be a little confused but weirdly into or is it fun? If I get a kick out of it or if it's something kind of weird or if I dig the music, then chances are, if we have the date, then we we'll get you at the Flickr bar. And I, I kind of pride Flickr in the aspect of being a spot for everyone.
0: But considering the nature of Cookie Tongue's non-mainstream act, I had to know. What do you consider a non-enjoyable night? Maybe you're you're not feeling it or something went wrong and sort of affected <laughs> the whole feeling? Oh yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> One performance that comes to mind for them was at a venue in the UK.
3: The owner was nuts and like drunk <laughs> and was like yelling at us for some While reason. While we
4: were performing.
3: While we were performing.
4: Yeah. Turning up the radio during the show.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Later the bartender told told us he's just he's just crazy.
4: That's a radical example.
3: But that show was, that was good like, though. Five. Made some progress on a song or two That's that right. needed that aggression. I mean, that aggressiveness. feel bad after a show that didn't go well, but sometimes the mistakes become kind of part of the performance as kind of what we're doing is on the edge of performance art. So in that way, there is like a fluidity in failure.
0: Another cool spot they've performed at in Athens is a place called Happy Top. A bed and breakfast meets DIY music venue.
4: The Happy Top is a wonderfully, whimsical, warm, just really magical
0: space. They go on to describe the performance space, which is in an old house near the railroad tracks and in the shadow of a rusty water tower on the edge of Normaltown. There's also a converted school bus and Airstream trailer on the property. The house has a different kind of piano in every room, a small stage with a drum kit, vintage speakers, and a recording studio. Happy Top is owned and operated by T.S. Woodward, a local musician and producer who opened the space just last year. Cookie Tongue's performance there was of sound-gasmic proportions.
3: We played in one room, but the sound was channeled into different speakers in each of the other rooms. Like vintage speakers? Into vintage speakers through different vintage amps. And so each room had its own kind of flavor of the sound of
1: the show that was happening live and it was recorded on tape. That is another part of what just makes Athens awesome is there's always some little DIY spot popping up, which is great. (laughs) And it's definitely like fosters the scene in a really unique and tangible way.
0: The icing on the Athens music scene cake is a local nonprofit called Nucci Space. Nucci Space was started by Linda Nucci after living through her son's battle with crippling depression and enduring the overwhelming darkness that accompanied his death by suicide on Thanksgiving Day in 1996. She decided to turn her grief into a mission to support others and help alleviate their pain. Her dream radiates through Nucci's space as it's been part of the cultural fabric of Athens for more than two decades and has done immeasurable good for not only the music and art scene, but the entire community and no surprise but Adam also works there as a facilities and operations manager.
1: So we have practice rooms and gear rental and stuff like that and we raise a bunch of money and then we provide counseling services at subsidized rates or for free for musicians as well as other health services like free customer plugs or we bring in a dental bus a couple times a year. So I get to meet a lot of people who play in bands in town, which helps a lot with the talent buying aspect of working at Flickr.
0: When I looked at Cookie Tongue's tour schedule, I didn't recognize one venue or performance space. It was like taking a peek at all the underground places that exist in the U.S. where subculture lives, thrives, and where artists experiment. From backyard shows to DIY spots, Cookie Tongue could stay flexible, in large part because of a sponsorship from a battery company.
3: We were a mobile venue, basically. We had a projector on battery. We had the PA, the lights, the sound, all the equipment. So we could just set up anywhere. And just play a show. We did in the middle of the forest.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
0: You guys must have put on a bunch of miles. What are you driving in and how'd it go? What was the odometer reading?
3: That's a whole other tour that we did to all the different mechanics in the US.
4: Oh <laughs> we, so many times.
3: we made sure to make a stop at like seven mechanics <laughs> in different cities.
4: Our air condition went out right as we were entering into the desert during a heat wave across Nevada overnight. It was a very big adventure.
0: Careful not to jinx their tour cube, they've been traveling in a 2010 Honda Element that's been tricked out with bunk beds to make it easier to store their gear. Does the little mouse have his own bed? No, he has his own box. He has his own
3: box. I was going to say no comment, but let's be truthful. He lives in his own tin box.
0: The little mouse that I inquire about is the same one that popped out on stage in between acts to complain that the music was too loud. It's a hand puppet made from an old shoe. And the mouse is a stamp collector.
2: Well, um, you know, I I don't really usually do podcasts because, you know, I kind of like collect stamps and that's mostly what I do. But but I guess I could be on this podcast if you want.
0: Why, thank you for joining us. Did we clear it with your PR team?
2: Well, I didn't really clear anything except for my desk today because I was working on some new stamp experiments.
0: The mouse later tells me he was born from a commission from the Kelly Kid Jewelry Heist Show, an experience in California that merges entertainment and jewelry making for kids. And I can only imagine what that mouse was doing there. No, but Mouse Puppet, what is your New Year's resolution? I've written a whole album of poetry
2: on stamps, and it's like a stamp album poetry conceptual
0: piece. The mouse scurries back into his little tin box inside a cube on wheels that barrel along the Mississippi interstate on their Soggy Miracle Tour, which is also the title track off their album.
2: Wouldn't want a soggy miracle in my mouth Wouldn't want a soggy miracle in my throat
4: love song that we have, but I guess that entire song came out of an improvisation between Omar and I in our studio, just playing around.
0: While listening to this song live, I, like a lot of people do, get lost in how visual the lyrics are. I mean, cereal made out of teeth? I just have to know how these images are constructed.
2: In this world we don't need though I know I would be one if you needed some
3: place. My sort of notion that I'm always I was like to create something different, like to break the wall, like to push through the wall.
4: And it does help doing that with someone that you know well enough to be a kind and warm (laughs) and curious person.
2: And words and images aren't really off limits.
0: Driving gives them time to craft their musical goals, which include opening up for big bands like Coco Rosie, Joanna Newsom, and the Decembrists, and they would also love to play at Baby's Alright in Brooklyn. A big dream of theirs is to perform at major music festivals. But it isn't the fame that they're drawn to, it's the possibilities of scaling their show and their creativity.
3: You know, go all out and have full band with maybe extra dancers, which you've done before, and like have a team that's in charge of special effects, projection,
0: like make it a whole production. I would totally be in the front row of that performance because of my experience watching them at Flickr Theatre. They took me into a disturbing patch of woods where comical elves and bizarre creatures ushered me into a new subset of my music psyche. And after I let go of my thoughts and my over-criticism, I was able to dance with them in the woods of their art. Their show was a palate cleanser and a reminder that we must challenge ourselves to seek out new music, music that we're unfamiliar with, or in my case, embrace the weird and the unknown. Do you ever get any pushback from people maybe just being like or just being maybe really uncomfortable. I mean, we've actually
4: had a couple folks who sort of just happened to be at a show not knowing what was going to happen and, and actually have said, your music is not my cup of tea, but I really respect what you're doing and this was really enjoyable for me, so thank you.
0: Ben Ratliff, a music journalist, critic, and author of the book Every Song Ever, says the problems with sophisticated music data algorithms is that infinite access to music unused or misused, can lead to atrophy of the desire to seek out new songs ourselves and creates a hardening of taste. And having rapidly acquired a new kind of listening brain in today's musical landscape, a brain with unlimited access, we dig very deeply and very narrowly, creating bottomless comfort zones in what we have decided we like and trust, or we shut down, threatened by endless choice. Algorithms are listening to us, So at the very least, we should try to listen better than we are being listened to. It was really inspiring to just reach out and get out of my comfort zone. And I was wondering, do you ever force yourselves to get out of your comfort zone and try something that you don't normally do?
4: Musically speaking, I feel like both Omer and I recently have allowed ourselves to enjoy musical theater more recently, like popular musical Mm -hmm. theater in a way that maybe we hadn't been before, and that's been really enjoyable. And also, is was inspiring because
0: we had this idea of doing a freakful opera. Thank you, Cookie Tongue, for being the concert cultural reawakening I needed, and to Flickr Theatre for booking them. The road trip before their show felt like I was going through the motions, seeking out the nostalgia, tunnel vision on creating anything new. After my trip to Athens, I started asking audiophiles about their preferred streaming platforms, and I kept hearing about NTS. It's a global radio station that has streaming and curated mixes made by, get this, people. Listening to NTS is like entering a cool record store, but without commercials. And I'm sorry if you've already heard of NTS, but for me, it's been an absolute revelation. Once I downloaded this app, I felt instantly back in the driver's seat of change. So rejuvenated and empowered, I have a new goal when traveling, to challenge myself to listen to music that's not generated by algorithms. And I'm motivated now more than ever to go deeper into the subcultures of concert culture and to be more intentional on avoiding nostalgia, which as good as it feels to self-soothe with music from our past, it can stop us from venturing down new roads. And just like seeing that green balloon on my trip a few years ago, I'm now filled with hope, reinvigorated, Maybe after all, there is a chance for us to expand our musical tastes later in life. Or like Ratliff says, at least we should try to simply listen to more. Next time, I'm taking you to Happy Top, that lodging and performance space in Normaltown that Cookie Tongue was raving about. Subscribe to ConcertCast wherever you listen to podcasts and find us online at ConcertCast.live. And do you have a favorite concert buddy? Well, make sure to tell them about our show. This has been a Good To Go Studios production, created and produced by yours truly, me, Kyle Lamont. Our co-writer in this episode is Jim Piccarello, our editor and engineer is Pete McGill, and our supervising producer is Heidi Stanton-Drew. Learn more about Athens and its vibrant music scene, as well as the bands heard in this episode, at concertcast.live. Special thanks to Cookie Tongue, Flickr Theatre, Rick Poss, Charlie Ryan, and thank you for listening.
2: i to